This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the, the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Taylor, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score, number two for him! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio, as always, ahead of a mouth-watering Champions Cup <laughs> final by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. I was wondering where you were going to change the levels there. <laughs> Usually it's like a, maybe three or four words before that, but uh, loving the energy, Will. Thank it's um, a very exciting week, yeah. Very yeah, excited for uh, it's good of you to come in on a bank holiday Monday. We're recording our podcast a day early this year, so if anything ridiculous happens this year, this week, if anything ridiculous happens between now and Tuesday, it won't be covered. If there's a unfortunately a flu outbreak in the Leinster camp and players are dropping like flies, we will sound very stupid. We apologise. But um, ah, look, both teams are fairly, they have you know enough strength and depth that I think they'll both be feeling good teams. And it'll probably be the game plan, I think, that uh, um, whoever, whoever I think performs to their potential and delivers on the game plan better than the other team I think will probably win the day it's the same very it's exciting a, analysis yeah, yeah, but it's just yeah like, blood look, pumping I, now after yeah. that riveting <laughs> summation of the match and you're very welcome uh, no I just think it's uh, both teams are so evenly matched like it's it's such a hard one to call but I think it'll be it'll come down to the basics of the game the fundamentals who delivers better in the day on, in terms of the plan well we have a Bumper preview in the offing. We're bringing in all the heavy hitters. Two friends of the show, Rory O'Connor and Keane Tracy of the Irish Independent, will be here momentarily to discuss the game. But first, you've played in many European finals yourself. Like, put us in the camp in the week of a Champions Cup final. Like, is there a bit of an edge there? Is are there nerves? Like, how did you feel going into those two finals you played in? Yeah, there's a, there's kind of it is a nervous week. Like you're so you're just excited. You're just like anytime you're out. I found maybe it was just a personal thing, but I found that anytime you were away from the group, you were nervous. Mm. When you're in the group, you're just all working. You're you know you're preparing for the game. Um, and you felt like preparing on your own. I don't know why. I always felt like I was dying to get into training, like, you know, early doors, get in, get ready, get stretched, know the moves. Like, it was, uh, they're really exciting weeks. So the ones you want to be involved in. And, um, yeah, like, I, I wish, I suppose I wish I was a bit of an older, if I had been older playing in the finals, I was a kind of a young guy, like, playing in all the finals. Um, 21 in your first final, I believe. Yeah, 21, and I think maybe 25 in the last one, I think, or 25 that year. So, like, I never really got to be in my real peak powers. Well, I probably never hit that anyway in in um, in my rugby career, kind of due to injuries or whatever. But I just would love to have been really accomplished, confident in my game, um, not having to relearn all the habits that you have because of injuries. So I was kind of very interrupted. Um, 
So that's always a regret. But I think when I look back in the weeks, they were really exciting ones. Um, there is an extra edge in training. The quality of training was usually really, really high. And, um, you know, everyone was switched on for every single play. I, there were ones you really enjoyed. You felt like they were really crisp, really fast. And um, just because everyone's so switched on, like you had moments where you'd like, uh, there's not a training session that I can't remember exactly. There's with a few where you were, Row was too uptight for them, and you made lots of errors, and there was a bit of panic, and you're saying, "Oh, la-, you know, before the day, like the training the next day, you know, everyone's you know we need to switch on. Everyone was really pumped up, and there were brilliant sessions. You followed up with a big one, but for the most part, especially particularly in Joe Schmidt eras, there was everyone was so well prepared that um, you kind of they were really enjoyable weeks in training. Yeah, it's ten years since the first uh, one Leinster one against Leicester. What was what do you remember about that build up? Because obviously, it, for a lot of players, it was kind of like their last chance. To, to win a, a European final with some veteran players in the team. Yeah. I know for you were obviously just on the scene, but did that make it a little bit different? I suppose I just expected to be in them. I expected to be winning things. I came from an environment where we had done, like, you know, successful in schools, part of the, the Grand Slam team in school. Um, you know, we'd won the, we'd won it in the first year out in Leinster, but uh, we'd won the league in, in 08. And then 09, I kind of, I, like, I just had great belief in the team. I thought we were in a really good place. I thought Kurt McQuilkin was doing a really good job defensively. I thought Enda McNulty behind the scenes had his primed very well. I thought Cech had his finger of the pulse of the team and the respect of the team. Um, and I suppose I just felt like, uh, I, I never thought we were going to lose against anyone. I, I really felt, and I felt like that for a, a quite a, a, you know, a good portion of my career in Leinster. And uh, it, it was great. It was, like, it was a great week to be involved. And I think we'll, uh, like it, 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 well, I suppose what was great. It's a, it's a, it's a proud thing because I think Leinster had always kind of underachieved to that point, and I always felt like while well, you know probably had a small part to play in it, um, you know it's a it's a, prou- a part that I'm very proud of. And again, as you said, there was a mix of players that were very experienced who really wanted it. You could feel it off those guys that week. There was an urgency with them. They were, you know, because they had probably I think they'd won a league maybe in 2001, 2002. A lot of those guys, and they'd won nothing since that time, you know, uh, bar the other league in 08. So I think they kind of felt like they were running out of time to do it and there was a real, there was a, it was mentioned a few times that week kind of saying, guys like you'd really admired uh, who'd said, look, we, we, we got this start with Leinster but we, and we just thought that was how it was going to be. So do not take this chance for granted. You don't know if you're going to be here again. Um, so, yeah, we, you felt the urgency from those guys, but from my own perspective, I definitely felt like we belonged there, and that I was expecting to be in those things. Oh, I was, I was expecting myself to be involved in those big occasions for my whole career. And for the finals themselves, like it is the pinnacle of European rugby. Like you think of, like compared to like the Champions League final, how big of an occasion that is. Did you feel? Did it feel that immense for when you ran out on the pitch for those games? Did it feel like you were taking part in like a, a properly huge sporting occasion? Yeah, it does feel different. The the media, particularly that week, is always um, you know you can always tell from the media presence that then there's huge interest. I think all the talk that week, all your training sessions, you're just so primed. Like they got so good in Leinster, like literally you strip down, you're purely doing like little power exercises. You're just trying to get yourself fit and perfect and priming and really powerful. So it was it was it was great weeks. Like you'd almost had three or four weeks of training build up for those two games. Um, or those games, sorry, excuse me, not two games, those games. Um, and that's the feeling you get. That's the feel, like you, that's what you notice. And then the, obviously the crowd on the day, um, you know, the atmosphere all week, everyone you meet down at the shops or anywhere is wishing you good luck. Uh, you've everyone texting you the week, you know, the night before the game, after the games. It's They're the things I think that make it stand out a little bit. Once, once you're in, in the actual game, you the first 10 minutes are probably just frantic like any big game but after that it settles into a pace and it's a normal game um, and oftentimes with my experience in the finals there's kind of a few more mistakes in them they're actually not always great games I haven't. I don't remember playing in a final 
Um, and I mean, because I missed the final against Ulster, uh, you know, there was some good quality rugby playing in that one. But really, in the other ones, it was kind of messy enough at the start. We got off to such a bad start against Northampton, but the Leicester one it was yeah, kind absolutely of absolutely pumped in the first half. Yeah, I remember watching. I couldn't believe it. I, I thought Leicester were going to steamroll them. So did I. Um, <laughs> But we did in the end. Uh, but it was that's the that's what what stands out to me is the mm. first ten minutes are frantic, lots of mistakes. But then the game settles into a normal rhythm, and maybe the last ten minutes can be fairly manic as well if it's a tight one. You know, against Leicester, you know there was that was probably one where it was just a bit frantic. You know, you're trying to hold out the nerves. You're about to you know achieve something really special. So. Um, very, very special occasion and delighted that I got to be a part. As much as I moan about my career being over early and never really getting a chance to hit my peak powers, I got to play in three or two on good finals, you know, so uh, be involved in three teams that won it. So pretty special, Will. Feel very lucky and it's great. Like we're all, I mean, I don't know, like I'm I'm excited for it. Like once I get my exam out of the way on Saturday, <laughs> I, I can't wait for Doing it. Doing an exam before a Champions Cup final, a bit different to your your. your yeah, experience. it is indeed. It's the new reality but it's uh, it's so exciting these weeks. I'm sure the players are just absolutely buzzing. They can't wait to get out there and have all the preparation done. I don't think I've ever looked forward more to a, a club rugby match. Just, oh, it's just so I, I hope they don't disappoint. It's so much at stake. It's just so mouthwatering. I said the word mouthwatering so many times, <laughs> even more so than I usually say, which is, you know, admittedly quite high anyway. But well, Saracens have been the best team consistently throughout the competition this year. Mm. Uh, Leinster have shown glimpses of it uh, at different points against probably teams that they're just not of the same caliber. But I don't think Saracens have come, come up against a team of the same caliber either. So it's uh, it's an intriguing battle, mm. definitely. Well, I'm delighted to welcome in Rory O'Connor and Keane Tracy to discuss this big game. Guys, thanks for coming in. Always well. Cheers. Rory was a late call-up. We had already organised Keane on the bank holiday Monday. Didn't know you'd be in the office too. You're indefatigable. Yeah, yeah, just hanging around. I'm ready for someone to drive me in for a rugby chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Keane, it's the final we've all been looking forward to. For some time, I think, I know Leinster played Saracens last year, but Saracens probably weren't a full pelt then. It looks like both teams will be at full strength this weekend. It's set up to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking back actually about it earlier in the quarterfinal. There was so much hype about it, but it really didn't kind of live up to it. Billy Vonapola wasn't playing. I think there's 16 lines between the two teams, which is just staggering really when you think of it. There is so much hype now. I suppose the only fear is that it doesn't live up to it, that the two teams kind of cancel each other out. But yeah, it has all the makings of it, doesn't it? Hopefully. Uh, the likes of Sean Cronin comes through fit and then I think Mako Vunapola was a doubt as well it was in the moon boot over the weekend but you want to see these two teams fully loaded going at it because it, it could be absolutely well, epic yeah as you say not that it needs more hype but in doing some research today I ranked all 24 European Cup finals in terms of the quality on both teams and this is number one on the list for me the best kind of two teams with the most star power you know the biggest pedigree I don't think we've ever had a final like this Ulster uh, Colomier is last, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say pretty, pretty high quality. Um, I can't think. There's nothing. I could, there's nothing comes to mind definitely that that matches it in terms of both teams. I think at the peak of their powers mm. as well, uh, not just kind of in terms of star power. You might, if thinking back, you might say some of the, the Claremont Toulon ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. But I think in terms of peak peak powers, both teams playing really well. Um, I believe the conversation between the two gamblers here before we come on was that the bookies <laughs> have it pretty much. Uh, even yes, so, yeah. Um, so, like that's that's I think highly unusual. You know that the algorithms can't find something to uh, some edge somewhere, uh, or unwilling to take bets. So, like, look, it's a, it's it has the makings of a really exciting one. I think um, the the 
with with the warning, with the caveat on that, is that both teams actually, you know, Leinster particularly, but Saracens all season have defended really, really well. But Leinster in the last couple of weeks have started defending like they did last season. Um, Robbie Henshaw is a, is, a, is a big part of, of that. Um, so, you know, is that going to be the, is that going to be the the tail of the tape as they say? Is that going to be what really dominates the game? Is which team can really snuff out the other one and squeeze out the other team? And are both teams so good there that you actually won't have the ability to perform on the highest? Or like it because it's the highest pressure. You know, one of the highest pressure games of the season, the Heineken Cup final. Are you going to be? Are we going to see the running rugby football as uh, Bill McLaren would say? I'm not sure. Not sure. That was the big talk today. The Leinster press conference was they're back in their attack. That was. Like they were, they're, they're bullish enough as as bullish as rugby teams get in press conferences. It was they're quite confident that they, while they recognise the Saracens are probably the best attack in the competition and you know one of the best in the world, that they have the weapons, that they have the the talent, that they have the game plan to to be able to find chinks. They might not you know score five or six tries, but they 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 reckon they can fire a shot. And I think the key to the game is probably not letting Saracens control the scoreboard. And I think they're determined to get in there first, get ahead as they did a year ago, and make Saracens chase it a little bit because a little bit like the Irish team, you know, how comfortable will Saracens be if they have to chase the game? That's that's one of the well, big challenges the, for Leinster. At the Aviva last season, they scored Leinster scored a try in the first couple of minutes, yeah. you know, allowing the sea were linked up, and Saracens really kind of struggled to get into the game after that. But from your perspective, what does a kind of a, a successful day for Leinster look like? How does the game need to play out? Do, like, do they need to be on top early, like that quarter final? Do, do does their attack need to be humming? Like, if it's kind of an arm wrestle, if it's low scoring, if it's defenses on top, does that favour Saracens? Possibly because. I think Saracens, while well, Leinster's uh, defence is very good, I think Saracens probably have the capacity to overwhelm you a little bit because they just have the bigger men and they also have that physical bench that they bring on with Skelton and, and the boys coming on. You know, just if it if you're just running into, if it is like last year's game in Bilbao, which Leinster, in fairness, they survived it, and, and you know, I'm still not entirely sure how because. Rassing were, I think, you know, were be- the better horse for that course last season. Teddy Tama, so. <laughs> yeah, Teddy Tama, and you know that that terrible decision he made. But like, they, you know, and I think on a dry track, it is getting ahead. It is, you know, finding whatever they've identified in the Saracens' defence during during their video analysis, exploiting that in the opening stages, getting James Lowe's hands on the ball, breaking the line, getting Harry's going forward. You know, they're like water. They they find a way of getting through through you. Like you know, with Munster it was the aerial battle. Well, you know, there's not you know Rob Carney's a bit of an upgrade on Mike Haley in, in that regard. So they're going. Saracens will have to find different ways of breaking Leinster down. And I think if Leinster can get it, it is about getting ahead. Um, I think if they, it, I think they're they're probably better placed than Saracens to chase the game. If Saris do get a, do get ahead, but I just think Saris shut you down so well. So there's a big there's a big difference as well though. I think with um, you know because we're we're probably basing the fairly recent form in Saris on that Munster game. Sure, yeah. I think what we saw from or what I from from what I heard on the weekend, you know, there was a lot of kicking from Munster once they couldn't get any go forward. Like Leinster are very different to that. They just keep hanging on to the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, they will sorry, they will kick it, but more often than not they'll they'll actually say, Well, I think they'll go maybe ten, even I don't think this is that far fetched the same that they'll I think on a, at nearly at a minimum they'd be like ten phases longer in possession than Munster before they decide, you know what, actually we probably should kick this. I think that's a, that, and that's a big challenge for Saracens is can they keep, you know, the line together? Can they hold it? Can they hold out for another ten phases without making a mistake? Or on the on the flip side, can Leinster actually hang on to that ball for ten phases longer against Saracens without, you know, 
Saracens building pressure on them, you know, getting a penalty here, knocking them backwards, you know, getting because Owen Farrell's not going to miss a kick. You know, yeah. So it is that. That's the same thing every week, isn't it? That battle, really. What do you think, Keane? Yeah, like I think Leinster will take so much from the semi final. Their overall performance was just so polished, keeping a team like Toulouse Trilis and okay, they scored like eighty odd points, albeit against Pau. But you just a reminder of what they are capable of. But you mentioned Robbie Henshaw. Devon Toner and Johnny Sexton both came back into the team and were, it was seamless and they looked like they'd actually benefited from the break the breakout so I think when you have Toner uh, Sexton and Henshaw who looked quite fresh at this stage of the season I think that gives Leinster a serious edge going into a game like this and one thing of interest of interest Luke is, is the kicking game as Roy mentioned uh, you know in the semi-final uh, David Strettle and Liam Williams clean once they're out in the air obviously Rob Carney very accomplished under the high ball Jordan Larmer Less so, I think it's probably fair to say. And, you know, I think against England as well, he, he struggled in that department. You know, could that be an area Saracens look to target? Definitely, because it's a strength for them, you know, particularly Liam Williams. Um, not so much Strettle. I think going forward, he kind of made it a bit messy, but Liam Williams can get up and he can. And he'll know from playing against the Irish teams, it's a big thing with Wales every time they play Ireland is to go into the air. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, he's very confident in his ability up there. Uh, he might actually be, cur- uh, like, uh, as we're talking now, he might be that be- the best player on the pitch on the weekend under a high ball. Um, he, I think he's he's up there with Rob Kearney, if not past him out currently. Uh, he's unbelievable in the air. He turned that game around against England in the air as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Saracens, like, they can go there and they can attack Leinster. It's not often you say that in an Irish team where they say, we can we can go on it. And I thought they did that quite well against Munster, actually, for large large periods of that game. They they kicked the ball really well. So Ben Spencer was brilliant. I think Rob Kearney won't be an issue. But I think, you know, uh, you know James Lowe, yeah, he's good in the air attacking. Is he as good defending? I'm not as sure uh, about that, if, if there's really good high balls to compete. But Jordan Armour definitely is an area where they could go to. I, um, I just think on yeah. that, Leinster, very quickly, Leinster will will be more uh, cynical streetwise than Munster where I think Munster with the blocking lines Munster just kind of yeah, got out of the way awful. said you, you go chase that and it's 50-50 particularly you know, Sweetenham like yeah. a, a Gaelic football player you would have told him brilliant <laughs> oh, but you know, man, oh, he's, he's played like, or, not yeah. Gaelic, but he's a hurler filthy but and cynical think, but no you just think he'd understand you know blocking lines helping helping a guy out if you know uh, you know if there's a ball in the air you just understand where it's going to break or who you know what angle you should take to push a guy to the outside of the channel because there's a channel where you're going in to collect the ball if you're going straight and someone's coming in from the side they can really only get one hand up and you can't always stop that but you, once you dominate that space in between or you don't let the other person, they have to go around you, their angle's off, so they don't get to really attack the person in the air. So I, I thought he was particularly bad on that. I was really surprised. He left um, he left them very exposed at the back a few times. So I, I agree. I don't, I don't think Leinster will, will have that issue. And I think Rob Carney is going to be better there. So, um, look, it's an area that, that, that could... Co- like, it's interesting nowadays that we talk about it. We're still talking about the battle in the air. It's still decide tight games of this where the fences are going to be very tight because you may have to kick it there. I think... I I think on Rob Kearney, he he was very clever last week. He came out and did an interview and he was sort of, you know, saying, and it was really cleverly done. He was basically saying that we wouldn't be as naive as Munster were, but it was also kind of a little reminder to Garces that, you know, they know exactly what Saracens do. And I'm sure we'll get on to Garces, but he could have a major say in how this game goes because the breakdown against Munster, or in the Munster Saracens game was just the Wild West it was a total lottery and if that is the case again that's going to have a major impact isn't it this weekend yeah like I know you were very critical of Garces you know what what do you kind of make of, of the role he'll play this weekend potentially well if it's anything like the role he played in the semi-final he will be absolutely well sorry he, he will be important but I don't think he was the reason Munster lost mm. the game he didn't help their cause but I think Munster didn't really adapt to him 
in the way that they should. It was the Wild West out there in the breakdown. I mean, Owen Farrell at one stage cleared a Munster player up oh, out man, from behind yeah. them. Oh, Peter Armani yeah. came in from behind them and ta- basically tackled him out of a rock. Yeah. And he got away with it. But I mean, yeah. the, everyone, you know, I, he, Munster should have said, okay, well, we can do that. You know, like, you know, that's the, if, they're, if they're the rules of engagement, you adapt to the rules of engagement and, and you make the Saracens ball as dirty as Saracens are making your ball, which they didn't really do. And I think Leinster probably, um, with the experience that they have in their team, will adapt to Garcia's well. They've, you know, they've refused to bite. You know, I asked Leo Cullen about it after the Ulster game. You know, what do you reckon? You know, he's a great referee. He's, you know, he's one of the most experienced referees in the world. I'm sure they have... I'm sure Garces would have got a, a fairly interesting review from the the, the refereeing uh, chiefs after that Munster game. I think you know they would have picked through it with with, with them. So um, they couldn't have been that critical though if he got the <laughs> final. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were they <laughs> were limited on choices. I mean, it, it was, it, and I think they do want to move. I get the sense that that they they kind of feel like they can't keep giving Nigel Owens you know all the finals that they need to yeah, he's have. Not that good, I mean, it wasn't no, way I, would, I would agree. Uh, he, with just the English connection, I guess you yeah, know, like Alan Roland yeah, was never true, able yeah. to take and it. Scott or and you know, there's no yeah. Italian refs or you know, so it was basically Garces or. or and Garces did the Ireland England game as well in the Six Nations, which is an interesting point because obviously there'll be there'll be lots of similar players, but. Like the, the breakdown has become such an issue. And I know, uh, Luke, we, we've been talking yeah. about it and we saw it again at the weekend with uh, CJ Stander for the penalty that Munster ended up winning from when he clearly isn't supporting his body weight and the penalty is given for him instead of against him. But it's like the point you were making, Luke, a few weeks ago when I was in here. When a player is like clamped on the ground like that, it's impossible to, to remove him unless you're torpedoing and you're crock rolling him. And this is why we're seeing so many, I think, dangerous injuries, but because it's not being policed. And that wasn't, obviously, Garces, who was doing the Munster game last week, but if his form has anything going from the semi-final, it could be an absolute shambles, Like I think. But someone like Sean O'Brien is clever enough to adapt to that and, and, and to, to make... I mean, Leinster can make that in their favour because there's no reason to think that Sean Garces is somehow favouring Saracens. It's just he's, they adapted to him better that day. And got away. They are the most illegal side I've ever seen play the game. They're and 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 I mean that as a compliment. They just get away with murder. Itoje, I don't know. He's a bit. He's basically inherited the Richie, Richie McCall, McCall. Uh, <laughs> cloak of invisibility. He still gives away his number of penalties, but he could give mm. away so many more. I mean, even he mauls people before they hit the ground. Gets away with it. It's incredible. But I mean, that's he gets away with. It. He pushes the boundaries of refs. He knows what he can get away with. Sometimes he crosses the line, but um, Lancer can't let him and Owen Farrell run the show. Because if they do, they're gone. It's just frustrating that you're that we're they were talking about this the week of a game. Like I just hate it. Like I just think there's a big there's a big big disconnect with what they're telling their the, the touch judges um, and the confidence that they had that those people have on the sidelines to actually help the referee out. Because I just think there's too much to referee at the breakdown to be looking at offside lines and different things like that. I just think. I'd nearly have the referee once the like once the ball is in play from like nine to ten or nine to the four, then you're kind of saying, yeah, look, you're back in the game. But I just think focus on that. The offside line has just gotten ridiculous. Yeah. It's gotten ridiculous. And do you know what? Actually, I, I, we, I said it here um, last week about Joy Neville. Um, it kind of annoyed me at the time. I, 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 I feel like I'm covering all ground here, but it annoyed me at the time. She was like constantly on. I was like, it was Leinster Ulster, and I was saying. But then I was like, no, that's what I want. Like, and it was unbelievable. She just kept pinging them. Boom, had a number for the ref. Boom, they're offside, offside. You know, she literally hit Leinster at about three or four pens in a row. It's the only way to sort it out. And I just, it was, it was a breath of fresh air because I had to step back because it was probably just a Leinster connection thing. I was just really saying, Jesus, like this is a disaster. Four or five pens in a row. Um, and I had no real skin in the game, Barbie and a Leinster supporter, really. So, um, 
that's what they need. They need the touch judges to support the referees because there's too much going on in the breakdown to be looking at other stuff. And they're, the rules that they have in place, they do not need to adjust these rules. They need to just start enforcing them. It's just that simple because, as Keen mentioned, and we, we kind of just touched on it there, guys latching on, like hands on the ground, you're just seeing it all the time. As soon as they see it, just boom, ping it. Just ping it. And you just keep pinging it. And, and if guys are getting yellow carded, it opens up the game anyway. It makes it a great spectacle, I think. So uh, they can't be afraid of doing that. It's, uh, that can sort out the game if there's continuous penalties. And on the flip side, it's the only way you clean the out is going off your feet. Yeah. And that's just dangerous. That's where we're getting all these head injuries. It's where we're getting guys blowing out their hammies because they're latched on the ground, they're locked in. Um, they need to sort it out. And I, I, just, I just feel like maybe it's come too late for them to sort it out. I feel like no one has really been shouting from the rooftop saying, this has to change. Like, there's, we, there's, have been. we have been. We've been trying. But I, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be frustrating. I just hope that we're not talking about the referee on Monday. I just really, really hope mm. that that's not the conversation we're going to be having. Well, yeah, just to move back to on-pitch stuff, thinking, like Rory mentioned, the potential influence of Maro Toji and Owen Farrell. Like, there's some really interesting individual battles. Like, you know, you have a Toji maybe against James Ryan, Farrell versus Sexton. You know, even in the back three, we touched on the front row as well. You know, you have Jamie George, Vunapola, mm -hmm. you know, you have Keane Healy, you have Tyler Furlong. Which, which, which individual battle for you is the most interesting? I think the obvious thing to say is Farrell and Sexton, but for me, actually, I think it's Jack Conan and Billy Vunapola. I think Jack Conan's performances over the last couple of months have been absolutely outstanding. I think he's gone to another level. He's kind of fulfilling the potential that he's always kind of promised friend of the show as well yeah yeah very good yeah very good episode actually um enjoyed that one but he has taken his performances to a new level and i feel like if leinster were to win and he was to outperform billy vunapola then he's asking serious questions going into the into the world cup of cj stander in starting he was having a good season but conan gives you that something a little bit different that maybe you might Don't need to be come. afraid of the red faction <laughs> <laughs> he's playing way better than He's been playing but way he's, better he's than the four, for, he's for the, the, four oh, the whole years. year. The whole I, year. Well, I think he can fit them both into a into a back row. But um, as Joe did in the third test in Australia, I think hmm. that Omani Stander Conan is something we'll see at the World Cup. Yeah, um, but I think, I think it's, I've like said this a few times now. I think yeah, I think well, to, to me, it's Conan plus two. He's the form back row in the country. He's he's and he gives you so much more. And he's a match winner in that. So I think it's game. the way. I think it's I think it's uh, it's Conan. O'Mahony and and the next and, one and either O'Brien or yeah O'Stander. yeah that's what I think. But O'Mahony's your key leader, so he's like he's like yeah. Th th that's that's one of the problems Conan's going to have to get into the team. It's like can he budge standard who gives you unbelievable work ethic and in fairness against the All Blacks, if you go back to that game, was mm. outstanding yeah. and gives you those numbers. I mean, he gets James Ryan numbers, um, but Conan was getting that way in the Six Nations, and I I just think his form. You know, I keep going back to Dwayne Vermeulen against Wales in the quarterfinal of the World Cup when he won the game for them. It was number eight picking from the base of a scrum and the way that Conan did against Ulster. Uh, he really stepped game. up in the Ulster game, didn't yeah, he? In terms brilliant. of, he, yeah. he, it felt like he became a real leader in that game. You know, the game was in the balance and he grabbed it by the scruff yeah. and he pulled Leinster through that. And I felt like that was the moment where you sort of saw him fulfil it and then he was brilliant again then in the semi-final. So. I, I like that. I, do you know, I think that Keane Healy, Marco Vunapola battle is a really intriguing. For me, like I just, I know two best loose heads in the world. I arguably. just, I, I think Conan Vunapolo definitely, but I think those two guys are just massive leaders for both teams. You saw what Vunapolo did over here in in in, uh, in the Aviva for for the for England. You know, he's a massive player for both teams, uh, and you see what happens when you take him out of the English team. You know, they just weren't the same. Uh, I think the same thing for Saracens. He has that kind of effect on him. But Keane Healy's been very very similar. He's like I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the the his resurgence. Um, has kind of coincided with Leinster becoming a, a, a kind of a powerhouse again. Uh, he's a big component of what made the team brilliant before. He's just, 
it's just an extra thing that your team has over the other team. So you get all this like the scrummaging prowess that he now has has had for the last you know whatever five six years of his career. At the start was probably something that people were maybe questioning, but that he's so strong there now. Um, but it's the bit around the pitch. It's most other teams that you're just surviving with your props. It's a thing for that. The one and, and the, the one area in the front row you might say you know Leinster maybe have an advantage. I think the two hookers maybe cancel themselves out. That's a tight enough battle I think, particularly the way Cronin plays for Leinster. But Furlong, I think, is probably a better tight head. That's one, like that's the one area. I think the Keane Healy, Macavunapola, possibly balance each other. Right? If one of them get an edge, you're saying, well, geez, like that could really give that extra little bit of impetus to the other team on the day. But that battle there is, I think, is intriguing. Could have a big bearing on the game. We don't often say it about the about the front rows because, <laughs> well, it's just not that exciting to talk about. But um, I think that's a really big battle on the day. And Cronin's fitness is key as well. He's been like Leinster's best player in the Champions Cup arguably this season yeah and it was pretty positive about him today it sounds like he's <laughs> going to do a bit of training Monday, Tuesday and then Thursday they're going to give him a proper fitness test and, and, and just test the, the calf out but from the sounds of what Stuart Lancaster was saying today they're pretty confident he will be a massive miss I mean, James Tracy's having a good season but I just think Corona gives you that bit of a bit extra with, with his pace his, his power and his experience as well so um yeah, and you know, the, even the fact that Gibson Park is out means, or is, is likely to miss out, means that you kind of your equation is simplified when it comes to the, the, the overseas players. I mean, it looks pretty straightforward that it's going to be the same team again, and, and that's no bad thing. And what about the James Ryan versus Maro Toje matchup? They've played at each other a couple of times. They've kind of probably broken about it. Even maybe James Ryan has probably even had the edge in their matchups. Um, but it, they're probably the two kind of held up as the two, you know, future, you know, locks in world rugby. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, Ritalik's still pretty young as well so like it, it, there's kind of a, an era of these unbelievably athletic locks who put in these um, these massive numbers and um, Itoje's I think like a year or two older than James Ryan he almost blazed the trail and coming out of being an under 20s captain and going straight onto the professional scene and becoming an international in the way that he did but I think James Ryan's a better player um, they're different they don't do the same stuff you know I, Ryan was talking today about how Itoje's more of a breakdown threat than he is but Ryan is just a phenomenal engine he he, yeah. he gives you so much he wins so many collisions I'd like to see him free his hands a little bit more because I think he has it he's lovely uh, he, he, yeah. for the, the try, try against yeah for Saracens last, last season year. you yeah. talked about yeah. getting the early try in that game but that try came just after half time for Levy yeah. and it was just it was since two Michaels he misses out. Levy I think I think he dovetailed really well with him in, in terms of their, you know they, they seem to have such a really strong relationship mm. and I think he misses having him on the pitch but you'd like to see him strike up something with Sean O'Brien um, who was coming into more. form as well by the way, I he, thought he was. I thought he was excellent in the semi-final. I thought he was absolutely outstanding, yeah, and yeah. you still feel like there's another level to go, which is absolutely brilliant. And if he can hit the heights again, then suddenly Ireland then look, you know, it looks a lot better for Ireland going into the World Cup too. Yeah, because the back row is interesting because it's probably one area where Saracens maybe don't have the the star quality. They have really effective performers in Jackson Ray and Michael Rhodes, but they wouldn't, you know, be the household names of, of you know, even like yeah. someone like Sean O'Brien or Hugely Scott effective Fardy. Effective at what they do, though, yeah. aren't they? Like, I mean. They, they, you're right they're not the, the big names but like Jackson Ray has had a brilliant season but yeah I think it's really exciting from a Leinster and an Irish point of view to see Sean O'Brien I mean about a month ago ahead of the Glasgow game he was kind of saying that he felt like there was more to come and you know of course a player is going to say that and he didn't really I think play that well in the Pro 14 game but he went to he he showed signs of you know that the body is still working and he is still able to hack it at this level and if he hits the heights I think yeah Leinster will have a great chance needs game time so the key thing mm. for Shawnee is just kind of get on the pitch. Like he's uh, he's going to have some battle wounds there. There's no doubt about that at this point in his career and just the way he plays the game. Uh, so that that always has an effect at some point. But I think you'd like to think he's a smart guy. Shawnee, very bright guy. Um, 
thinks his way around the pitch well. So you think that what maybe he doesn't have that he, you know those period of years where he was just pretty much unstoppable. Probably he's not like that anymore. Maybe the games have gotten a little bit you know defense is a bit better and all that kind of stuff as well. But I think he's just a smart rugby player. You love having a guy like that on the pitch. He's really loud on the pitch. You can hear that little whiny Carlo accent, um, kind of barking orders to people, organising guys. He's a very confident guy as well in his own abilities. I think the ball handling bit was something that I was that really I thought was really pleasing. He adds that to the. He's a he's a really lovely footballer as well. So for the low uh, try, yeah, he did but he's just a lovely so footballer. Well him, yeah. Like he's in the right positions. Times his run onto the ball really well. He's lovely yeah. for a nine to play outside. I always remember Owen Redden saying that. Look, if you look at how he times his run, mm. uh, getting around, like he's really nice to, to play outside. He never, he, like it's not hard to pass on the ball in those scenarios. A bit like James Ryan, I think times it very well in there as well. But I think he's a lovely link for Lencer to have between backs and forwards. That's a big part of the game nowadays. Yeah. I think, I, I think, I, I feel like that's the bit that Munster is still missing is that little bit of continuity between backs and forwards, trying to figure out when to do that, even amongst the forwards. Um, and I thought Shawnee was really good um, in the ODS a couple of weeks ago. Just a few little tip-on passes as well to the other forward. So he brings that extra dimension, I think. So, yeah, I agree. He, he's playing better. And I think the more games he plays, the better he'll play. And that'll have a big impact for Ireland as well, I think. Himself and, and, and Fardy are... Well, the, the two Saracens flankers are, are very good players. Fardy and O'Brien at their best are different class. They're world-class players. You know, Fardy's a world-class, world, world Cup finalist. O'Brien, Lions test player. You know, if they can get them to the top of their... their their game, they're better players than the Saracens players playing Should against. Be. Even though the unit, like the Saracens collective, is very very strong. So yeah. if Leinster, like that is like there's loads of key that you could talk about key battles all night. But the, you know, they are better players, and if Leinster can get harness that, then they will have a serious advantage. And the other guys are goodwill though, because I think for for Saracens, Keane made a really good point there. I think they they fit the mold of what Saracens mm, need yeah. from them. Yeah. Do you know that sometimes you're kind of saying, well, player for player. Um, and we probably talked a little bit about this with Ireland England as well. Do you remember we were saying? Well, I think Leinster, or sorry, Ireland have an have an edge in the back row, player for player. But yeah. sometimes Fran you just call them all journeyman, yeah, journey a twenty year old journeyman, <laughs> journey exactly. It's some of their parts though. But isn't it's it? just <laughs> the, those guys are big, yeah. strong guys. They fit them all well. They're mm-hmm. excellent tacklers. They're really, really good. And they don't. I'm not sure they're as they, they are breakdown threats, and they are really, really good there. But they have a different kind of break there. Saracens are Jackson a team. Right? Good over the ball. Yeah, he yeah. is. But like, would you say Shawnee on his on his day is better? I would say definitely on his day is better there, right? But they he, they fit them all really well. I think that they spread well, they tackle well, they're high energy guys, big impact players. Uh, they fit Saracens' game plan very well. So it might not be necessarily a case of saying one v the other. It might just be. It's the, probably it could be unit for unit, really. You know, it's who performs, who fits in with the game plan better on the day, um, could have an impact because those guys aren't, as we said, household names, but bloody effective. But one matchup we haven't really touched on is Sexton versus Farrell, and while obviously the the pack battle is huge and will go a long way to deciding it, whatever whichever ten outperforms the opposite number, that'll probably be the winning of the game as well. Yeah, because I suppose you can look back in the Ireland England game, Farrell outplayed Johnny Sexton, and obviously England outplayed Ireland, but. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought it was really encouraging to see how well Sexton came back in that Toulouse game. He seemed to have benefited from the break. He looked fresher. He wasn't as narky, you know. And obviously that was because the game was going his way. But like I know it's a cliche, but when Sexton plays well, so does everyone else around him. Having that Sexton and Henshaw axis back together and then Ringrose outside of him just makes Leinster so much a better team. Like Rory Lockton did a super job when he came in, but having those three guys there together, just, I think, phenomenal three. I, it's interesting because I think I have a kind of different spin on this one. I think it depends on which pack gets kind of momentum for which, which, which the whichever half pairing it is because both defences will get on top of you 
every decision would be a nightmare. It'd be under huge pressure. It's impossible to play in those conditions. Mm. You know, I agree. I didn't. I think I thought there was a few things that were uncharacteristic. He didn't help out. Like he wasn't playing good rugby. I, I actually can accept that point. But in terms of the game, it completely. Those both of those guys will play brilliant if you give them good ball. They're just quality operators. They're consistently good passers of the ball. They're excellent decision makers. Um, whoever can give them good ball will that they, those guys will play like the, the quality of their play will be based on that purely I, I'm, I'm convinced of that um, I, I just think against really top class opposition good defences you're just you're, you can't win if you don't get good ball like Bowden Barrett looks unbelievable because the New Zealand pack are getting him go forward all the time like you throw him behind a Scottish pack against those teams like he's going to look like a different player um, now he might still be absolutely outstanding he might still make all the best decisions he can make even if they're under pressure but you just don't look half as good. So that's the key. But the key battle is going to be that. And those, how Luke McGrath plays, how Johnny Sexton plays, how Owen Farrell plays, purely based on how the, those guys, numbers one to eight play. Poor Scotland getting a kicking there as well. <laughs> just, not even I don't know. I couldn't think of a better example. You maybe think of a Italian, worse maybe pack in world rugby. So maybe an Italian pack. You know what I mean? I just oh, mean geez. whatever it is. Just More unintended flinging targets. shit everywhere, Will, today. But I look, I just think it's really based on that and finals are really based on that. You know, so unfortunately... Really it's, the, the wind out of my sails. My I, I love there. the battles. I get it. I get it. Like, it we want to see... And I think, like, I think uh, like in terms of that, maybe it could be... A, a really a, a, well, an even metric in this, to yeah in this hypothetical scenario the packs are even okay so okay neither but, team is getting okay but hang on the uh, the only really even metric I think you can have in a rugby match is going to be the kicking like who kicks better with the opportunities that they get like that's a really pressure that's a thing you could yeah. say well they're both of them that, they're both unbelievable and, kickers they are but, yeah. it's, but it's also I think if it's, it's how much are the Irish players have learned from that game in in, in Dublin in February because. That day, they lost the collisions, but they, they kind of stuck to the same game plan. And even when it wasn't working, like they probably should have gone to the boot, tried to fight some grass, tried to turn them, tried to move that Saracens, you know, their big boy, or the English, the English pack, big lads, around, try and tire them out that way. And I think they weren't smart enough that day. And, like, you know, these are, you know, Johnny Sexton's probably one of the most intelligent players out there. You would hope that having reviewed that, having watched it, having gone watched Saracens play, that if they are losing collisions... That they find another way that they can. I, I, I completely take what you're saying, but Luke McGrath and Johnny Sexton have the, the potential to alleviate the pressure a little bit by moving them around, by by being smart, by even it throwing in a couple of cross kicks or or, or whatever. Um, because they there is a potential that Saracens could get on top of Leinster at times on Saturday. That's a good point because I think like the, if you look at like Saracens are going to look at like I don't think Leinster are going to kick as much as Ireland, right? That's fine, but they still will go to the air if they're stuck. Uh, same as Munster did and they'll I think they'll try and shield the guys out they'll try and block they'll run those blocking lines that crossfield kick point was a point I made after the Irish game was that they didn't they never considered that they never considered going straight to Johnny Sexton and going for a cross kick as an exit plan like a high ball cross kick like that's a really hard thing to defend as a as an opposition winger and if you don't start defending it well uh, or even as a fullback, because you have to come over to the side. It's a, it's an awkward angle to, to go at, you know. If your if your winger's playing high and it's to the fullback, it's a really difficult. I, I think it's something that they should definitely consider is if they are defending that well, because you know, say even for for Liam Williams' wing, yeah. like that's something that you should definitely. Because I don't think you going to him is going to really pay much. Div- you're not going to get much dividends from that. That would, would be my view. I think he's excellent in the air there, um, and he's consistently really good there in the big games too. 
Um, so do you say, well, look, if we're on the you know the right hand side of the pitch, well maybe we go back to Johnny and he kicks a cross field kick out the other side, or maybe we throw it out to the wing and we do the we do our clearance kick from 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 the wingers, you know, from James Lowe's left foot or whatever. There's loads of options there that or use Robbie Henshaw's scenario. Or Robbie, yeah, exactly. So there is loads of things you can do. I think rather than going to the same place all the time, James I think Lowe is pretty good in, in the air as well. Yeah, he's he is good. He's like good so. going forward. I'm not as convinced of him going yeah, back, but I agree. But he, I think he's he, very good cause, yeah. yeah, we didn't even mention him, but it's. Gibson Park being injured. I, to be honest, I don't think he would have been in the been in the squad because I just don't see how he can leave the other two guys out. But the stuff he did against uh, in the semi final against Toulouse was just you know it was everything ah, that we had talked about why he should be in he the team and you know and he, he missed out didn't he last year like so I mean yeah. I think he'll be yeah, missed extra, the semi and the final last yeah year. so he'll be extra Surprising motivated but he he just makes such a difference doesn't he and. Like even I, I'm smiling now and I'm I'm thinking about him because he just when he gets the ball you, you know something's going to happen and he can run through you he can run around and you. And he destroyed Sarsons last year like he yeah, was amazing. He, he was game. yeah he was an absolute spark so yeah it's going to be exciting to see him as well. And it's interesting Roy like so much of the focus has been on this matchup how it's like the two best teams in the tournament and you know the quality on show that there's no real talk of Leinster going for the you know back to back European Cups or you know in pursuit of a double double which ordinarily would be narratives in and of itself and adding its own little bit of pressure but it seems to be very much been shelled and everyone is just focusing on the matchup which is probably to Leinster's benefit that maybe they're not getting inundated with this kind of talk well, and it's also the opportunity to become the most successful club in European history you know that will move them separate separate them from Toulouse and, and the field put three between themselves and Saracens and Munster um so there's a lot on the line for them. Um, it's funny because Jack Cohen did mention that he's like, oh, like the five having five that, stars. That was a, that was a. a I think thing. it was one of the things they talked about in preseason. I think it was one of the triggers that Lancaster and, and Cullen used to try and you know get them up because we you know it, it, like you know from from the time you guys went went back to back coming back after winning it, how do you find the the motivation to, to go for a long season again? And I think that was one of the things that they, they the, the, the buttons they push at the start of it. I can't imagine it's gonna hugely figure in the in the week building up to it. Maybe maybe if they feel there's a bit of a, a, a lull, I think there's enough on the line, but I think these these players are pretty comfortable in all that expectation. And they they've embraced it since yeah, Lancaster's gone yeah, in. And it's the same with the Irish team. Like it's it's so refreshing to hear Jack Conan coming out and say, Yeah, like we've talked about it, we've embraced it. Because I remember after the Chicago Ireland played Italy and Jordan Armour scored a hat trick and he said, Oh yeah, like we want to win the World Cup and you could kind of see the Irish media officer, you know, in his face, like just told his own story because you're just not supposed to say things like that. We're not supposed to be we're not supposed to be that sort of optimistic, but there's a group of young players who have no fear and I suppose Jack Conan is still pretty young as well and it's it's so refreshing to see them embracing the history that's on the line and not kind of shying away for it because maybe down through the years that's the Irish thing, you know, we want to be the underdogs but like this Leinster team and the Irish team have earned the right to, you know, be sort of self-confident in what they're doing. Yeah, and it's great, like, because I, I think it's, it was always a frustration with my with myself whenever I was doing media work. You're kind of managing expectations mm. all the time, and I get, I do get it, because like from a coaching perspective, like, you know, <laughs> it's so like there's massive pressure on and things. It's so fickle in sport; like, it changes so so quickly. Whereas if you're a player, like, really, like, you know, you're not going to get your contract cut in the middle of a contract. It'd be quite unusual for for that to happen. You know what I mean? Whereas for for players or for coaches, you know, that's very different story if you have a few mm. big losses so you're always trying to manage from their perspective and manage the message but I don't I thought it was always rubbish I was like well everyone here in the room knows that they think they can win this 
like why don't they just say it? Like in you know American Irish sports. teams and players <laughs> yeah, do not complacent. do well when we are favourites. <laughs> just say like it's a tough, it's going to be a tough game. Like I don't think that's wrong, but like we expect to win it because we we believe in ourselves. We believe we like we didn't come here to lose. Like we came here to win, and we're going to do everything we can. We're going to prepare as best we can to go out and win. And all our preparation gives us huge confidence. Like I, I always think, like I, I, I think American sports goes too far the other way maybe sometimes. But at it's the same balance, time, yeah, I do yeah. like that people say, yeah. "Well, we expect to win." But like, it's funny, like if say if the, in the build up there was Saracens players and coaches saying, "Oh, we we expect to win this game," we over here will be like, "Look at that oh, arrogance! Those arrogant <laughs> pricks over there." <laughs> That's we would definitely be doing. About. Like, all you have to do is walk around UCD and. The, 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 the Leinster head quarters like, there's pictures of people lifting trophies all over the place like, it's, mm. this is the biggest club in Europe it's the most successful club in Europe along with Toulouse like, they, they can't help but being confident ahead of these games and it's coming out in the players the players that are the, there's, there's uh, three players going for their fifth European title there's players who came up who grew up watching teams win European Cup finals that, who know little different they've forgotten the pre-2009 world you know the, this, the, of course they're confident and they believe they're better than Saracens and they've every right to believe that yeah, it's funny for when you reflect, though, like it's a 10-year anniversary from the first European Cup, Leinster now going for five. Would it have been difficult to envisage? Just back? remind him I need to RSVP to that dinner. <laughs> 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 um, but, um, yeah, look, it was like amazing, uh, amazing experience to be involved with. Because I, I, th I think it was a very different... Um, quite a different player group you know there was probably a, a good few more experienced heads in that team there you know a sprinkling maybe for maybe a third of the team was quite young but i think this team has has more younger guys in it like a better age group like kind of between the 24 to 28 bracket so you think they could probably go on and and, and make it last without having to you know too much turnover you'd say maybe there's a few key guys rob carney you know johnny sexton those guys are pushing on a bit sean o'brien obviously is going but um, there's a really good dynamic with this group I think the age group and they look like they have a few guys who are coming through who could be excellent as well so uh, whereas I think that group in 2009 probably wouldn't have gone on like I don't know if they'd ha we'd have had the same success again if we didn't have Joe Schmidt coming in and kind of revolutionising everything and bringing it on a different to, to a new level Um I'm not. I'm. I'm less convinced of that I think I'd be more. I'd be more confident this group kind of having a con some kind of continuity going forward. Um, but it was an amazing experience, like to to go from a club that had always underachieved, um, always you know playing that Irish mentality of kind of you know backing yourself into a corner. It's us against them. We're the underdogs. Like that was definitely that team, and that was the mentality within that team. Even though there was a few people, you know, your Brian O'Driscolls and that who would have been hugely confident, probably myself, <laughs> without any basis for it. But um, not the same as Drico, that's for sure. But um, it was a, it was an amazing achievement, and to see how the club has gone on and kicked on is, um, I think that had a big part to play in it. I was really proud of, I suppose, my little part that I had to play in that. And um, you see all the young guys now coming through, your James Ryan's and these guys saying that, you know, that kind of era was their kind of heroes. They were in school when all they that was happening. Some of them barely even remember. Which is a scary thing. Uh, uh, if they saw me there, they were like, Jesus, a little, a little, bit, a little bit misshapen from there, a little bit less, good bit less hair. Did you play um, yourself? But, <laughs> but like it is, it's, it, it, what I suppose is, it is proud to think that not all these great players uh, currently, you know, we're looking at that team and saying, you know, I want to go, I wanted in school to go and play for Leinster based on that. And you see all of the guys kind of, you know, it's, I think it's hard to shift them on. Like, there's loads of those guys should really be playing their rugby. Like, lots of young, young, talented guys should be playing their rugby, you know, in, in mm. a different club because they need more regular time. But they're just not doing it because they grew up... It was like their dream. It's like a young Manchester boy or a young Liverpool kid, like, playing for those teams. They don't want to leave, so... I remember Jordan Armour actually mm. saying not too long ago, a few months ago, that his earliest uh, memory of the Munster-Leinster rivalry was the semi-final. 
Was it? That's scary. Which one? The, the one? in 09. Oh, 09. Oh, I was thinking <laughs> the other one for me was 06, but I was not no, the was, earliest memory. He was too young. You were 18. We only had earlier know, memories but, of that. Uh, like. That's good maths, by the way. Nice. Uh, but, but like uh, that's scary to think that a guy playing Champions Cup final, his earliest memory was the, 10 years ago. Like, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Because <laughs> I, 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 I suppose I'd only ever watched the Bunster ones. Like, yeah. the, you know, Leinster had never really gotten to that point until the 06 one. I was actually at that one. It was grim. In my, I went to all my Leinster like, schools tracksuit and I was just thinking, Jesus, I'm pretty much <laughs> You weren't one of those here. lads, were you? I was. Lancer schools tracks into the game. We need to get you the colours. You loser. <laughs> no, but we all went to the colours. I was like, we need to go on the colours. I remember all the supporters. It was the first big one where we were like, we, you know, Lancer could win this one. You know, yeah. they've been playing well. They were brilliant against Toulouse. And then we were, they were like, we're, gonna, we're not going to have the Red Sea like completely outdo us on the day. Uh, I think I went with, uh, it would have been Vasily Artemiev. Do you remember Artemiev? And the two of mm. us were, went in the kit, we're like, geez, we're like the only ones in the blue here. Full like, kit <laughs> wankers. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Can we have to edit that out, Gav? But, uh, yeah. On that basis alone, it was, it was a good thing that they all. Yeah, Jesus. Um, <laughs> just to finish up, Rory, um, I know this hasn't been a big talking point for Leinster Saracens, but whoever wins this game will have rightly acclaimed to being the best team of you know, of any era in European rugby, is that a fair comment? Jeez, that's a big statement. Big statement. I think Toulon would still, like, the yeah. three and three is pretty, incre- pretty incredible, incredible, even though they're they're a hard team to like. and, yeah. and Bill doesn't like French rugby. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that, there wasn't much French about that Toulon team. Yeah, it was a pretty much, the, it was basically the Springboks team oh, were from they? 2007. Ah, oh, they were. They were phenomenal. Well, I don't think they were as good as the Leinster or the Saracens team playing on Saturday. They are. They'd, they have, were. A, they'd yeah. have a good shout yeah. beating either of them, I think. Those packs were unbelievable. Yeah. And the Gitto. Like that guy, he's my favorite rugby player, honestly. No, they were, I'm not saying they were in a good team, time, but like, like Johnny Wilkinson when he was there. Like Leinster almost uh, knocked him out in their worst season in you know ten years. Yeah, but a ban on the wing, like the the pack, like the guys in there, like, ah, like, like the, the back, back both. But he was like 36. He was so still Williams was 36 as well. And I, I think played against the guy, man. He was on, and you but you could take one of the other teams as well, with like himself and Ali Williams in there. Like they were, yeah. they're serious players. Like I, I think, I think what's the, the the key thing with this in terms of the the like it, it kind of is easier defining, but uh, but I'm going to contradict myself by saying neither of these teams' business is done. I think this. Leinster team is separate from the Leinster team that won the last three, the first three. I think this is a new. Yeah. I know there's a couple of common players, but this is very much a new team, and they, but their age profile is such that you know I think they're they've got a, by the time they're finished they could well end up being the greatest, mm-hmm. and Saracens the same. I mean a lot of those, even though they have a couple of older players in there, um, their academy is pretty strong. They're getting a lot of young players through. They're signing Elliot Daly's on his way in, and I'm sure he's not the only one. Um, you know, so this Saracens team will kick on. So I, I think, I, I think, I don't. While this is really key in terms of who's the better team right now, I think that these teams have their age profile is far more uh, favourable than that Toulon team was. That was an old team that really that has was that, built to win. It was it built there? to win yeah, those three titles. Time. Very it's overrated. The Mourinho team, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So overrated. Oh no, they were brilliant. <laughs> no team that wins three titles yeah. in a row is, can, can be overrated. Oh, well, Claremont gifted them the first one, absolutely. Like they should, Claremont should have won that one in the Aviva by 20 points. No, they shouldn't have. They were pretty good. Like, there was a tight match. It wasn't that... They, they weren't on top by 20 points. It was oh, no 20 they points. They were rewatched. Like, Claremont absolutely gifted to land that uh, final. Yeah, well, Claremont will do that, but I don't know. I, <laughs> Not a lot of love in the room, Will. I, yeah, like, I'm got surprised to that one. Yeah, that was... It's all going so well. <laughs> <laughs> they don't deserve to be a three-in-a-row team. I just don't feel they're as good as the Saracens or Leinster team or the Leinster team and the Joe Schmidt or even some of the other team. I just even that, I think that Claremont team was better than that Toulon team. I thought that... Do you know what? That, that first Leinster team in the, the 2011, 2012 was yeah. a pretty good team. 
Yeah. I think that would have put it up to that too. Even the back to back Leicester team. I would have put it up to these teams. That's what I'm talking about. The, yeah. the first, uh, was it the first team with. Um, it was the Northampton game. That was a pretty good team. Like that, all those guys in the prime: Keane Healy, Sean, Sean O'Brien. Mm. Can't forget Fabian Palouse to lose either, or they were so or Leicester when at their yeah, Leicester, Leicester, Leicester back to back. I mean, no, Leicester's backs were their pack was unbelievable. Their but as a team, as a functioning unit, they were good. they were phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Not like yeah, I think it's too early to declare either of these teams the greatest. But I think they have the capacity to get there. It would be brilliant if it does become. You know, go on to become this sort of a rivalry. Yeah, I'm not saying the two of them dominate, but it would be class if this was sort of the start. It's of big, it, there's been a very narrowing of the market hasn't mm. there, in the last couple of years. I would there's like a, to see it open up a little there bit. There is a there's gap. A, there's like, a massive. We hierarchy. saw that from the yeah. semi finals. Would Clare be in there? Would they be in a semi final if they were next year? Yeah. Well, no, if they were in the competition this year, yeah, yeah. 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 they're the third best. Yeah. They're the third best team. Do you think? Yeah. I, yeah. I still think I, would, I, I think the tournament needs them back. I think. Yeah, they'll add a lot more than someone like Leon. Are they better than Racing? I think so. Yeah. Rossing are a bit too loose. They're in fifth in the top fourteen, like Claremont. Mm. Lost again the weekend to Stad. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. So at least we've not, we've taken Toulon down a few pegs. Which is, <laughs> no, we haven't. Right. No, we yeah, haven't. No, you're wrong. I thought that was just three right. in a row. Like I'm writing it down on like, my piece of paper. Right, like it's so hard to like it's so hard to like measure teams from different Fifth eras. Uh, but like you have to think like where did they okay. rank in your final list? By the way, how far down were they? Well, no. So the, in terms of star quality, I put 2015 number two Toulon versus Claremont in terms of just okay. the star quality on show. But all the players they had were pensioners. Like you know, they were all in there. <laughs> they were like like they were all unreal players. But like Packy's both was 36. Habana <laughs> was like 34 <laughs> they all left uh, like they were play, they were the starting you know the, the starting person in their position for like uh, South Africa New Zealand Australia like they were class <laughs> yeah no they're called, great players like but I, I'm this, I think that's an amazing statement there's very <laughs> fine margins in between like, we, we, that we, era they were we, so far ahead of any other team could we, we're, we're, we're so far we're ahead of other ourselves from Will's comments Claremont <laughs> just, yeah. to, just for Claremont the record Claremont should have beaten them at least Saracen's brain that actually they got a monster as well in this conversation that team that won two was a, was yeah, M- Munster beating Toulouse on 08. Yeah. Like that final ranks number three in terms of star quality, star wattage. Oh, yeah. yeah Munster yeah. Toulouse. Good team. Fair enough. Poor Ulster Colomier all the way down in number 22. Mm, Toulouse Perpignan in 03. You, know you can tell there's no more games in yeah. Belfast this season. Well. <laughs> but you know what was a good one? You know, that semi final, <laughs> Leinster Claremont semi final was a fairly. That was a, that was a good game. Do you remember that one? 2012. That was, yeah. yeah. That was a, it was serious players in that game. Yeah, that Claremont team, you know, were, were serious. They were class, yeah. Arguably better than to Where do we go from here, Will? Yeah. We've discussed everything. Okay, yeah. Every <laughs> final ever, every team every ever. Every rank. Yeah, my mastermind <laughs> subject is European finals. Uh, You're supposed to be masterminding this thing. Go on, keep the okay, show on the road. Yeah. Let's finish up with his predictions. <laughs> Lancer versus Saracens. I'll go around the table, Luke. You uh, Lancer. One way, one word. Jeez, nor- normally you sit in defence. So <laughs> I was trying to wait for, I need the teams, I need to see the teams. But you know what it is? Sorry, I hate doing it. You know I hate doing it. But I think I've stuck with, I, I said Leinster for, for, um, I said Leinster for Heineken Cup and I think Munster for a league. So that's and you're sticking, sticking with, with it blindly. Things. I am, yeah. I okay. do. I think Munster get it together next week. Uh, I'm kind of still very much on the fence and I suppose we're expecting both teams to be fully loaded. I think Leinster, if you were to put a gun to my head, might sneak it, but with absolutely no no confidence. Like I just hope... I just hope it lives up to the expectation and, and hype that we are giving it and everyone else is giving it because yeah it really should but Leinster if you were to put me on the spot two for Leinster Rory I don't know I don't know I think this is the hardest game to call of the whole season um, and I haven't quite come down either side like I was de- I was over in Coventry and, and like it's hard to argue against Saracens based on how strong they are. They're a scary team. I'd say they're a horrendous team to play against. They just look yeah. like they, they're an absolute nightmare. But then you have to go back to 
what Leinster can do to teams, but still haven't quite got to the level of last year. And I think the squad isn't quite as strong as it was. Nasiwa, these were the days where he kicked into gear, wasn't it? These were the days where he set the tone. Um, with absolutely no confidence, and I may change by the end of the week. I reserve the right to put a different prediction in the paper on Saturday. Uh, I think at this stage, I'm, I'm thinking probably Saracens edge it, but I don't know for sure. Well, there's a lot to be decided. William, are you are you going to offer anything here? Uh, I spent all my brain power putting this list together. <laughs> I don't think I have any left. To offer oh, you no, I think Le- Leinster narrowly, but like Rory, I reserve the right to change my prediction when I see the team sheets. Okay. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all do that. Yeah. Do we? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's just good. that goes without saying. Yeah, like if, they, if there's four or five guys in the play or something like that. <laughs> well, on that note, very exciting final to look forward to. Luke, Keane, Rory, thanks so much for coming in. On a bank holiday Monday, no less. Cheers, cheers. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week to review the Champions Cup final. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye.